0: Great to have you here. During our next couple songs, we're going to take our offering. If you are a guest, you can just let that pass. But what you could do for us, because we would love to get in touch with you and answer any of your questions, underneath the seat in front of you, um, there is a a card, a visitor's card. You can fill that out and put it in the offering as it comes around. But let me pray for our morning together. God, um, that's our prayer. Is that God, your spirit would rise here this morning and change us. We know that when we meet with you in your presence, God, that you can change us. We are here as we are, but we believe that you are faithful enough and that you love us enough not to leave us that way. So God, I pray that in your presence you would change us, that you would uh, define for us what freedom really is. God, may we run to Jesus. We want to see the name of Jesus is great this morning, God, It is all about Him, and it's not about us. Father, we love you, and we look to Jesus. We need you, in Jesus' name.
1: High King of Heaven, my victory.
0: would be our vision, that we would not look to other things in this world to direct us or to find our satisfaction in, God, but that it would be all found in you, that your grace is sufficient for us, that we would stop our search in the name of Jesus at the cross, that you are everything that we need, that you give ultimate freedom, God, we love you and we need you in Jesus' name. I want you all just to take a moment and say hi to at least five people this morning. At least five people. Go. All right, all right, all right. You can find your seats and sit in them. And when you get to your seats, take out whatever form of the Bible you're using this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there might be one underneath the seat in front of you somewhere. You can use your phone. It'll be on the screen. Or you can take out your Bible that you brought with you. It's a good idea to bring a Bible to church, but if you didn't, that's okay. Um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be uh, in verse 18, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, but let me just pray for us real quick, again. God, I'm so thankful that we can just be here in your presence, and again, God, we come as we are, but we believe that you are faithful, and that you love us enough not to leave us this way, so I pray that through your spirit you would speak to us, God, um, that I would serve well this morning. Father, that I would point people to Jesus. Everything that you have given us is because of Jesus, Lord. And uh, so I pray that people would leave here this morning knowing that the name of Jesus is great and that Jesus is the only way and the answer.
1: Lord, I uh,
0: just pray that whatever lies that anybody is believing from Satan this morning, that we would fight those lies with your truth Lord. that we would understand what real freedom in the name of jesus is your word says that the demons know who jesus is and they shudder lord that's what team we're on that's the the king that we serve and so we're so thankful for that so i just pray that broken hearts in here today god that joyful hearts God, that hearts that are that are seeking something, that are looking for what they haven't found yet, I pray that they would find that in Jesus. Lord, we need you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're in Resident Aliens, our First Peter series, and that's a really good title for this series because First Peter is all about living and following Jesus in a place that is not our home. Like I completely wholeheartedly every day look forward to the day that jesus is going to come back and that we get to be with him in eternity and and a lot of times heather and i pray sometimes out of fear Um, the bible says do not be afraid and i do not want to be afraid so we cry out to jesus Um, but we really want jesus to come back Uh, i really want to be with him in his presence uh, in heaven but while we are here, we sing this song that says, you hold me now. It says, I look forward to the day that I'm going to be in heaven, but Jesus, you hold me now. right? And 1 Peter says in the beginning that you are born again to a living hope, that Jesus is alive. So while we are alive here on earth, his desire is that we would have the most abundant life that we can. right? But since God is the one that created life, And God is the one that defines what abundance means in life. Since he created life, he gets to define what it means to live the abundant life, right? He defines living the abundant life as in Jesus. I can tell you this, everything that we can pursue, everything that we can run after in this world will never fully fulfill us. It may feel like it does in a moment, right? Because there's a lot of things in this life, right? Sin sometimes is fun. And there's a lot, of, a lot of things in this life that I can run after for fulfillment. Like every single night, Heather and I look forward to that moment when you get to, to say goodnight to the kids and then walk away, right? Because we know what's coming next. We know that we get to sit down in front of the TV and do mindless things where we don't have to think, right? And so we're, in some form or fashion, that's okay to do. I'm not telling you it's not okay to do because I do it. Um, but in some form or fashion, you know, I, sh- I need to go to Jesus first. In everything that I do, I want to be able to go to Jesus first. So I want to read this to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. Let's read this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good, that's easy, and the gentle, but also to the unjust. That's hard. (laughs) That's hard to do. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, Justly, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned. But now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. I'm really thankful that this is the passage that I get to speak on this morning because I've been thinking a lot and praying a lot about what God wants me to leave with you because this today is the last message that I'll speak at Creekside. And um, next week is the last week that my family's going to be here at Creekside. And while we are excited about what God has next for us and we completely and wholeheartedly believe that he has called us to what's next first we have to leave you and that's sad and it's hard right and it's been hard and our hearts have been broken for you and there's a few things that as I've been praying about we want you to know and the first thing is that we love you like I don't know how much more times I want to say that but we love you right and we wholeheartedly believe that God has amazing things planned for you. He wants to use you in incredible ways that in your mind right now, you can't even fathom. Right? He says he, wants, he can do, and he wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. He wants to do more through you than you can even form in your mind right now. Right? Imagine what he can and is willing to do. We have one life to live. I swear sometimes the way that we live our lives, we think we're cats, and we have nine lives to live. If we screw it up this time, we can come back and do it again a different way next time. We can waste time now because God's going to give us all this time later. It's just not true. You have one life to live. Don't Waste it, chasing things that will not ever last into eternity. Don't waste it. And on the other side of the same coin, don't just play the church game. All right? I beg you, don't just play this game that we call church Because coming to church every week and sitting in the seat that you're sitting in is not going to save you. It's not going to get you any points with God. The only thing that gets you points with God is faith in Jesus. Because God is saying, like Kyle said last week, very clearly that it is not about you. It's not about me. God is saying, that's right. It's about Jesus, right? Don't waste your time chasing these things that will never fulfill you and don't play the church game thinking that you're going to earn yourself some sort of position in God's economy because you come to church every week and you listen and you hear the message preached to you. Don't do that. That's not being the church. That's going to a building. This building is not... The church. Heather taught that to our Bible club this week. And she asked the question, like, what is the church? And a whole lot of them just kept on saying, you go to it. It's a building. You go to it. You go. And at the, by the end, she got them saying, it's the people. It's the people. It's the people. It's the people. It's loving God. It is loving other people. That is being the church surrender yourself to Jesus and live your life for him because I promise you that's all that there is that matters. (laughs) Because at the end of your life, it will come to an accumulation of all the things you spent your time doing, and Jesus is going to look at all of it. There's this moment in 1 Corinthians 3 that describes when we stand before Jesus and if we have come to him for salvation, it's not about our sin anymore. Jesus isn't going to look and be like, hey, you're condemned for your sin because you're not because I died for that. But he's going to look at everything that you did here on earth. And the things that you wasted your time with is just going to burn away. It's going to be gone in those moments. And you will suffer loss because you spent so much time building, building, building on earthly foundations. But if you spend your time building on the foundation of Jesus, those things will last And you will be rewarded, right? And I firmly believe, I firmly believe that in those moments we will be compelled to whatever we're rewarded with to just get on our knees and offer it back to Jesus. Right? And I don't want to go before Jesus empty-handed. I don't know about you. But he died for me. And I do not want to go before the king that died for me empty-handed but I can't bring the stuff with me from earth to give to him. I can give it to him now, and he will reward me later. Right? It's the only way to live the abundant life that Jesus came for you to live is in him, pursue him. And when it gets hard, don't give up, because I know it doesn't always feel like following Jesus. Right? You feel like God has abandoned you sometimes. You feel like he's not answering your prayers. You feel like he doesn't love you. Sometimes you just have to choose to believe the truth even when you can't feel the truth. And don't give up. Don't give up. It's the only thing that's going to last. That's our greatest prayer for you. And we believe God wants to do big things through you. To give God glory, number one, and in doing so, occupying your street. Occupy your street. Occupy your street. Occupy your street. I know that sounds like a dead horse coming from me, but I'm going to kick it until it's deader. All right? Occupy your street. What does that mean? Your street is not just where you live. It is your neighborhood. Right? It's your own home, it's your neighbors, it's where you work, it's where you get your haircut. it's where you eat, it's everywhere that you go on a regular basis. It's all the people that you run into, you occupy that, you fill that space with the love of Jesus so that there is no one left in your life that does not know because of your witness that there is a God that loves them, that sent his son Jesus to die for them. You occupy your street And even when it's hard, don't give up. That's our greatest prayer for you. Heather and I often pray, Lord, you promised to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And we can imagine quite a bit. So please blow our minds as we completely trust in you. I mean, imagine that. Jesus taught and unleashed 12 He taught and unleashed 12 people that changed the known world, that changed history. (laughs) And these dudes were, they were idiots, really. I mean, they didn't know anything. Half the time, Jesus spent correcting their theology, right? But he did it graciously. And then he said to them, hey, After he rose from the dead, he said, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to do anything because you're probably going to screw it up. I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Okay? So they waited. And what did they do while they waited? They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. And they prayed some more. And then eventually, God sent the Holy Spirit from heaven that filled them and empowered normal, everyday, ordinary people to change the world. Do you imagine what he could do with this room of people when every single person in this room who says they want to follow Jesus actually follows him? But not on your own strength, according to the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, that God's saying, please, do not do anything on your own strength because I know you. You're going to mess it up, right? So don't do anything on your own strength. That's freeing for me, because I know myself, and I know that that's true. If I do it in my own power, I will screw it up. And I don't have to do it on my own power. I can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That is how you occupy your street. Raise your hand if you heard of the band U2. U2, I don't know how to say that, U2, however you say that. And the lead singer, Bono, well, he wrote a song And it's called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. I'm going to read some of those lyrics to you. It says this, I've climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I have run. I have crawled. I've scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And this part right here is the part of the song I don't really understand, but it's good anyway. I have kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips. It burned like fire, this burning desire. I've spoke with the tongue of angels, I've held the hand of the devil. And it was warm in the night, I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Then get this part. I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. Did y'all know that was in a Bono song? It is. It's right there. I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's an amazing song. But let me describe it to you because I'm getting some looks right now. Okay. This song essentially describes Bono's life story. He's been searching his whole life for something, that he's chased a whole lot of different life experiences after, and he has gone after these things. He's looking for something, obviously, and he still has not found it, right? Now, the part of the song that always confused me was when he says that he believes in the kingdom come, and then he goes on to describe... What is, now I know from reading about how he wrote this song is, is Jesus' death on the cross for him. And he describes how he believes in God's kingdom come, that he believes that Jesus died on the cross for him, right? And then the chorus happens again. How does it make any sense? I found Jesus. I believe in him for salvation, but I still have not found what I'm looking for. Well, what you need to know is that Bono wrote this song after coming back from a trip to Africa, visiting a a ton of shack-ridden, really poor towns in Africa. And he came back saying, man, I believe in Jesus, but after I came to Jesus, I now have more questions in my mind as to why I'm not seeing what I think I should be seeing. And so when Bono says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, he's no longer looking for salvation he found salvation in Jesus. What is he looking for? He's looking for God's people to actually be living what they say they believe. And as he looks around the world, and as he spends time in the poorest parts of Africa, he still hasn't seen it. He's begging the question, this makes no sense to me. How are there a bazillion Christians in the world, but I'm still not seeing what I'm looking for and guess what that's what most people outside the church are looking for they're looking for a group of people that actually lives what they say they believe and they haven't found it yet a lot of times that's what's going to draw in someone to actually give Jesus a chance right and so Bono's saying I, I believe in Jesus I believe I've confessed this. His confession is man, all I want to see is God's people come to earth. And I read this: is that Bono's favorite part of the Lord's Prayer is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because his greatest desire is to see God's people living out kingdom values on earth, right? That's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come down to earth. What did Jesus say? I mean, Jesus was on a mission when he was here. Go, make disciples, baptize people, preach. And you know, if you're baptizing people, it means that people are getting saved. So go, make disciples, baptize, teach, repeat, repeat, repeat repeat that's what Jesus told us to do. So, when we come to this passage in 1st Peter, I mean really the whole book of 1st Peter, but we come to this passage in 1st Peter, the question becomes what sets me apart. Everybody say set apart. Say it again, set apart. What sets me apart? And here's what I don't mean. I don't mean set apart as better because in 1st Corinthians it says this that you before you came to Jesus you were all of these bad things, and it lists a whole a bunch of bad things, and it, it really is saying that you were saved out of your sinful lifestyle. You were saved out of sin, right? So do not for a second think that you're better than your neighbor. Don't for a second think that you're better than the guy over there because as soon as we start comparing ourselves to the next person, we are no longer comparing ourselves to God's standard. We're comparing ourselves to man's standard, and when we compare ourselves to man's standard, we kind of feel okay about ourselves, right? As long as I'm better than that guy over there, I'm good. But that's still not God's standard, right? So I'm not asking the question, what sets me apart is better. I'm asking the question, what sets us apart as different? Because God's will for all people, defined by his word, is that we should be holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. And in position, as God looks at us, we are holy, covered by the blood of Jesus. We are made perfect. We are made right when we come to Jesus for salvation. Because Jesus' blood covers us and cleans us. And in action, we are seeking continually, as we go through this process of becoming more like Jesus, we're seeking to be more like Him and to be holy. So let's go through this. Verse 18 says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, because that's easy, but also to the unjust, because that's really hard, right? Slavery or household servants was a normal cultural thing for the upper class to have in Peter's day when he wrote this. So Peter writes about an issue that's commonly known to his audience. But if you're like me, this is an issue that really transcends culture, right? This is an issue that is timeless. One of the hardest things for me to do in this life is to let injustice to let hurt, to let wrong done to me, to let that go and to forgive, right? Or to watch injustice win. The natural fleshly part of me constantly, and I remember this as a kid too. Like, I, oh, I, I just, the natural part of me wants to get revenge. It wants to put people in their place. It wants to say things to people. And I, I, sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, if you're not, then you're just better than me, but sometimes I devise the things that I'm going to say to somebody that will put them in their place if I ever am face-to-face with that person, and just thinking about saying it makes me feel better for a moment, right? And then when I'm actually in front of that person, I don't actually say it, um, because it, it's, it's either because that would be the wrong thing to do, or I'm just a sissy, but um, I don't actually say it to the person, right? Right? But that's a struggle for me, is to let injustice win. I just want to get revenge sometimes, right? The truth is that I won't really feel better. I think I'll feel better if I get revenge or if I put somebody in their place or if I make them feel a certain way, right? But I I might only feel better for a moment. Chances are I really won't. Why? Because the issue is so much deeper than that. The issue is not that someone hurt me. The issue is that there's a deeper heart need that needs to be addressed. So this is speaking to a common human problem. If someone does you wrong when you don't deserve it, that is hard to let go, right? Isn't that hard to let go? Peter goes on, verse 19 and 20. Is this for this is a gracious thing right to show respect even when something's done wrong to you for this is a gracious thing when mindful of god one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure but when you do good and suffer for it you endure that's a gracious thing in the sight of god this is like Uh, Peter's version of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is from Matthew 5 where it's the most famous sermon of all time. It happens in Matthew 5 and it's one of the first times he has his followers together and he he sits down, he says um, a whole lot of things about different types of people that will inherit the kingdom of God, but here's one of the things he says. He says this, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. So essentially, the way that you've grown up, everything you've heard your entire life, the culture that you live in, says it's, it's a great thing, it's easy thing to love your neighbor, right? And to hate your enemy, and that's okay. That's what you've heard your whole life, right? But then Jesus flips that on them and says, but I tell you, love your enemy, And pray for those who persecute you, meaning that the values of the kingdom of God that I want you to live out are completely counterintuitive from what you think in your fleshly, human, reactive mind. So when we ask the question, what sets us apart, I got to beg the question in my own life is like, how am I reacting differently to hard situations in my life, right, than the world would that doesn't have jesus because it is so easy to love your neighbor i mean that's like love is a thing right love is a thing it's a in in our culture these days it's love is a thing like you love everyone it's easy to love your neighbor Whether you're a part of the church, whether you know Jesus, whether you're following God or not, it's just kind of a a normal cultural moral thing is to be nice to people and to love people. That's easy to do, right? But what happens when they stab you in the back? What happens when they betray you? What happens when injustice is done to you, right? What happens when they hurt you? How are you going to respond differently than someone who doesn't know Jesus? Because no one would fault you No one would fault you for being mad. No one would fault you for wanting revenge, right? It's kind of normal. It's natural. It's the way you feel. But how are you going to react differently? What sets us apart, right? It's easy to love those who are kind to you. Part of the definition of holiness is actually set apart. If you just wanted to wrap up the word holiness, so God says be holy for I am holy, wrap up that entire word in two words, it is set apart. What sets us apart? So Peter is saying the same thing here as Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. He picks a topic that's a struggle for everyone. If you sin, okay, get this, and this is what we want our kids to understand too, is that if you sin and you get a penalty for it, well, you kind of deserved it, right? If you're punished for your sin, that just makes sense. But if you're punished when you did nothing wrong, right? That's when you have an opportunity as a Jesus follower to show the Holy Spirit alive in you, right? If you're punished when you've done nothing wrong, and you endure without wanting revenge, without hating that person, without speaking ill of them, and the list goes on and on again, then you are acting like Jesus, then you are acting holy, then you are acting set apart in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's why this will draw the outside world who doesn't know Jesus yet to Jesus, right? Because the single greatest resource that we have been given, it's not just a resource, this is life itself, is the Holy Spirit to cause us to in strength respond differently than what our natural self would respond, right? When someone sees you respond with love or with kindness or even to pray for an enemy, like honestly, How easy is it to pray for an enemy? Someone who you, right? I mean, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I I would bet that if I had us raise our hands to say, who prayed for an enemy this last week, the list would be minimal. Because that's really hard. But when someone who hasn't come to Jesus yet looks at your life and they say, man, that person did you wrong and you're praying for him? That person did you wrong and you're serving them? That person did you wrong and you're not talking bad about them? Like, how do you do that, man? Well, hey, God gave me the Holy Spirit. Jesus set an example for me on the cross. We're going to talk more about that later. But I have the Holy Spirit. I believe that God has called me to something higher. I believe that God has called me to live differently. I believe that because Jesus did it for me, I can do it for other people, right? I can give grace because I've been given grace. In my own life, for myself and seeing this in others, Right? actually being in situations in life where you have to react differently and in a God-empowering way, these are the situations that I grow the most and that I change the most, right? If we are never... If we never are in a situation where we have to react differently than our natural self does, we're never going to grow, right? You can, know, you can know every single word in the Bible, but if you never actually put yourself in a situation out there where someone hurts you and you actually, acts, actually act differently, right? You're not going to grow nearly as much as being out there in the world and experiencing these things and then actually living out what you know in this life, Right, if we, live out, if we live our lives in the easy way, we're just doing the natural thing, the easy thing, the thing that feels good. And we never get to experience God's power in us and through us, through the Spirit empowering us to make a hard choice. Choosing to love our enemies or bless and respect someone who has done injustice to us, that only takes God's power. Right, I don't know a whole lot of people that can do that on their in their natural reactive self right maybe you do but i don't so heather and my kids and i can i always say i can brag on them for this i was actually talking to richie miller about this this morning but um, i could brag on them about this because i didn't have anything to do with it Um, but heather and my kids started a bible club at our house every wednesday 16 kids flood from valerius elementary school plus alex um comes later um to our house, and they've put a hole in my wall in the basement, right? I've just got to kind of be okay with that, Um, and uh, because I can fix it later, right? Um, But these kids just fled my house, and I can say, I've put this on Facebook. This is no joke. Within 30 seconds, within 30 seconds, you could walk in the front door of my house, and it feels like you just walked into a wall of BO. Like, it is terrible, I mean, you walk in there, and it is, is so bad. I mean, these, these, do, these boys, boys are, boys will be boys, right? Oh, man, it is terrible smelling things come out of my house on Wednesdays. It's bad stuff. So, anyway, they started this Bible club, and their theme this year is Love God, Love People. All right? so it's, it's, it's Heather just dialoguing with these kids every week. How do we love God and how do we love people? How do we love God and how do we love people? And what does the practical side of that look like? Well, last week, some of those kids were at our house randomly and they were riding bikes outside and scooters and stuff. And two houses down across the street, um, a kid had moved in, right? And um, so this kid, usually you could tell just by watching him that he just longs to be uh, have companionship. He longs for friends. He longs to... Uh, for attention and all this stuff, because he'll just go out, and he'll just sit on the sidewalk in the front of his house, or he'll just sit in the middle of the yard, right, and that's just what he does, and so our kids are uh, are playing outside, and this kid slowly makes his way over, and he starts to try to play with uh, the kids in the yard, and shortly after that, Heather and I were sitting in our living room, and shortly after that, one of my kids comes in and says, so-and-so just And he had, like, gotten upset with the boys that were playing at my house and used a few choice curse words, right? And so my kids ran in and said, so-and-so said this to so-and-so, whatever. And so we went outside, and Heather went and had a gracious, great talk with this kid because she's really good at that. But while she was talking to this boy, I was talking to the rest of the kids that were playing at our house. And I said to him, hey, so what happened? And they described to me what happened. And one of the kids just said, man, Nick, we've tried. We tried so hard to include him and to play with him. But he was just really, really mean to us, right? And he said, we we really wanted to be nice to him. I said, yeah, man. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard. What have you guys been learning in Bible Club? Like I just, I had that to fall back on. So I just said, what have you guys been learning in Bible Club? Love God, love people, right? And so I asked the question, okay, so how do you love people that are mean to you? What does Jesus say about how to treat people that are mean to you? And they all in unison answered, you'd be nice to them. You'd be nice to them, right? And so I said, that's the key, is no matter how hard it gets, God is calling us to something different. No matter how hard it gets, because it's really hard to love kids that are mean to you. But you guys, and I pointed at every single one of them, I said, you guys, you know the truth. You guys, you know what Jesus wants from you. Right? It's really hard. But guess what? You have the same Holy Spirit that I do. And so you can go love him, and you can be a friend to him, even when it's hard. And so that happened, and then that, when the next Bible club rolled around, Right? He was walking past our house, walking home with his dad, and all of these kids were playing in our yard. And his dad's like, what's going on here? Right? And so I said, hey, it's a Bible club. And there was a part of me that did not want to invite him <laughs> because of the, the, the uh, experience that my kids had had with him. And I was like, I don't want to deal with this. right. But I didn't do that. I invited him. I said, yeah, it's a Bible club. He should come. He would love it, right? And so his dad looked, hey, you want to play with the kids? Yeah. So he went home, put his backpack away, and he came over, right? And now every single time that kid sees me from across the street, he yells, hey! Right? I said, hey, back. Right? And the other day, I was standing outside, and I was talking to a neighbor of mine, and he said, hey! I said, hey! Right? I was talking to my neighbor. And then he just makes his way over. This is all he did. He did. He didn't want to talk to me or nothing. All he did was he walks over to me. I'm talking to this other adult, right? He walks over to me. He wraps his arms around my waist. He puts his head on my chest and walked away. That's all he did. Why? Not because of anything I did. It was because my kids and their friends chose to make a hard choice and be nice to this kid. Right? This kid came to Bible Club, and he was one of the best-behaved kids in the whole place. Sometimes I want to hang some of them upside down by their big toe, but this kid was awesome, right? But he felt loved, and my, that's what happens when you act differently, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, right? I mean, that's just, that's better than anything that I could ever have experienced right these boys have learned through living out a situation in their life for Heather and I the situation we're currently in reacting differently than the world would say has been an amazing lesson for us because when honestly when we resigned from Creekside we didn't know what was next right and so Conventional wisdom says you're stupid for resigning from a job that you could have continued to get pay f- paid for, right? When you don't, you don't know what's coming next. And acting in simple faith to just be able to say to somebody on the outside, yes, like I didn't know what was coming next, but I wholeheartedly believed that God called us to do it. That's part of why I know that you guys are going to be good like, and that God wants to do amazing things through you, right? Because as much as he has called us to go do what we're going to do, he's called you to something as well. And so we responded to that and said, you know what? Just because God called us to do this, we're going we're to act, and we're going to take that step of faith. And through that step of faith that we took, trusting that God would provide where we couldn't see, right, that speaks volumes, to a world that only acts in practicality, right? There is no believing in God's provision for you, right? Where we get to say, yeah, we stepped out in faith and we have learned huge, crazy lessons through stepping out to where we couldn't see. So we need to wrap this up. What does Jesus want from us? What is Peter in this passage calling us to? This again, why I really am glad I'm speaking on this today right because our deepest desire for you and for all Christians everywhere is to live on mission for God like Jesus said in the Bible that that believers are the salt of the earth the preservers that are supposed to live out the values of the kingdom of God when you have an opportunity to react to a situation in 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 a way that could be normal and expected to this world, with anger or a need for revenge, when you have the opportunity, act differently, right? Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in you to enable you to act differently. Make the hard choice, And when the outside world sees you acting differently, they will be drawn to the power of God. This is the goal, to see a church, not just a church like Creekside Church, the church, live out what they say they believe. Live out the values of the kingdom of God. And just like Jesus changed the known world by teaching and unleashing 12 people, right, There's a lot more than 12 people in this room. There's a lot more than 12 believers worldwide. When we are unleashed to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, then people are changed by Jesus. Verse 21 to 25, and if you're really thankful, if you're really here this morning and you are really thankful for what Jesus has done for you, then this will be the most compelling reason of all to when you leave this room, to, uh, to, to surrender your whole life to Jesus and to go after it. It says this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. He took our sins, and he bore them in his body, on the tree, on the cross, that we may, so in order that we may die to sin, when you're dead to something, it no longer is active in the world. You die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer's. Of your soul. So the band's going to come back up. Now we're going to have a moment, in a moment, we're going to be able to remember Jesus with the bread and the cup. For to this you have been called, to act differently, to live differently, to claim the name of Jesus, and let that show in your life. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example, and here's the, here's the thing, he is. Did nothing wrong. This is why he was able to, as the Son of God, be the ultimate final sacrifice for our sins so that we never have to make any more sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament and so that we can live completely free and live the abundant life that God has called us to in Christ. Jesus did nothing wrong and yet he was beaten, he was spit upon, right? and he said nothing even one of the even one of the criminals that was crucified with him on the cross screamed at him and cursed at him and said if you really are the son of god then save yourself and us and jesus said nothing and i really believe that he had your name on his mind and he had the mission of his father and he had obedience to God on his mind that drove him to act differently because the Bible says that Jesus was as much God he was fully God and he was fully man and that the man part of him felt tempted in every way that we are yet without sin I am sure that the man part of him was tempted to fight back. And guess what? He would have won. Right? But he chose not to. That's what we have been called to. By his wounds we are healed. Let that be your motivation. And this is what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about perfection. If you look through the book of Psalms and 1 Kings and the story of David, you realize that David was one messed up dude. I mean, David, had he committed adultery with a woman and then he had her husband sent out to the front lines of battle just so that he would be killed now even if you're not a god follower even if you're not a jesus follower that's messed up like you just don't do that right that's messed up on every scale david did that right but then what does the bible also say about him and he messed up in a whole lot of other ways too The Bible says about him that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Not because he was perfect, but because from the bottom of his heart, he pursued God. Even though he screwed up and he sinned continually, his response was repentance and turn back to God. I am going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue God. So what is our response? It's pursue God. Because of what Jesus had done for us, and we're going to worship, and we're going to remember Jesus by taking the bread which is just, just a symbol of his body broken, broken for us in the cup, which is a symbol of his blood that covers us and makes us clean. Because he did that for us, and he, he didn't have to, but he did it with joy because of our salvation, how do we live, right? How do we live? We live the way he has called us to live, empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world around us because we belong to Jesus. So let's pray. And you can come up to either table in the front or go to the one in back. But this is what we've been called to. God, we love you and we need you. And we desperately desire to be empowered by your Holy Spirit, God, because living differently is really hard. We need you. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to your Father in heaven. Thank you for not fighting back. Thank you for being an example for us as to how we should live, God. To be gracious with all people. To forgive, God, to act differently than the world around us does. We love you and we need you. Thank you for empowering us. We want to remember you now and lift the name of Jesus high. In his name we pray, amen. Just for the next few moments, I just want you to sit in silence and pray. Just talk to God and consider these things. of
1: Jesus as promised good to you.
0: church. Pray over every heart in this room, Lord, that you would be their king. Lord, that they would make the hard choices empowered by your spirit. God, we're so thankful that you do not leave us alone to walk in this life. God, but you've given us your spirit to become more like Jesus. Lord, we want to grow your kingdom. We want to be active in what you are doing in this world. Lord, so I pray that through this church, God, people will come to know you, that they would be saved, Lord, and on their way to eternity in heaven. I pray that they would know freedom, that every person in this room would know freedom, God, that we would let go of our shame and our past. That's our past, but you define our future, and our future is in heaven with you. Totally healed, (laughs) totally sinless, God. And so I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, and we can imagine quite a bit. So blow our minds, Lord. (laughs) God, blow our minds with what you want to do through the people in this room. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this final song together and just sing with everything that you are that we are made free. The Bible says if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed, and that is my prayer for you, that you would know what that means.